All right, again, we'll be reading the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. If you're using a pew Bible, flip all the way back to page number 2. God's first question, where are you? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. God, how great and powerful is your word. Lord, even the questions you ask, may, may your word reveal to us this morning, Lord, where we are. God, may our hearts be searched and changed through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. Questions. I know some people like questions, other people love questions. But when you consider it, we are a generation full of questions. Everybody has questions. And uh, in fact, we use questions for for a variety of different ways. We will often use questions to gain information. Uh, How many of you bought a car lately? Anybody bought a car here lately? Maybe in the last year, two years, five years? Sure. And I'm sure you have asked a few questions in relation to buying a car. Maybe you answer those questions through the internet, doing some online searching. Maybe at the dealership, you ask some questions to gain some. Or if you bought it off Craigslist, you ask the person you are buying it from, hey, Tell me a little bit about this. What's the history behind it? So we use questions to gain information, uh, normally for our benefit, so we're more educated. We will often use questions just to strike up a conversation with somebody. Normally, somebody we really don't know real well, I may go, hey, Jeremy, you know, hey, wh- you know, tell me, uh, where do you go to school at now? Uh, what do you do for your job? You know, just simple questions to strike up a conversation. And we build our conversation around that so we get to know the other person a little bit better, right? So you understand that. Uh, There are oftentimes teachers will ask questions, right? They'll ask questions to assess whether their students are learning anything lately. Zach's a teacher, right, Zach? Do you use questions? And are your students learning anything? Absolutely. We praise God for that, right? The school system is working due to qualified teachers like Zach here, and we appreciate that. But in an age of information overload, there are good questions, and then there are not so good questions. There's good questions that help us sort through life. And then there are trivial questions that take us on senseless detours. How many of you hate trivial questions? They have no purpose in life. It's like, where are we going? Why are we doing this? Why are you asking me this? Where's the purpose? For example, here are some trivial questions to ponder. Warning, they have no purpose, okay? How is it that when we put a man on the moon before we figured it out, it would be a good idea to put wheels on luggage? Right? 
Why do we press harder on a remote control when we know the batteries are dead? Right? You ever ask yourself that? If a pig loses its voice, is it disgruntled? Great question, right? What disease did cured ham actually have? Ah, yeah. I told you these questions have no purpose. They're trivial. We don't like trivial questions. I'm giving you examples of these. Can a hearse carrying a corpse drive in the carpool lane? Yeah, see, some of you like that. All right. Uh, if FedEx and UPS were to merge, and I can say this because I used to work for UPS for four years, and Ken back there works for FedEx. So, Ken, we, 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 can, we can understand this. So, if FedEx and UPS were to merge, would they call it fed up? <laughs> yeah, we, you know, some of you may experience that a little bit. And, of course, we all know what Tuesday is. What's Tuesday? Yeah, the dreaded tax day. And so, did you ever notice when you put the two words the and IRS together, it spells theirs? And we're all going, oh, theirs, yes. Well, it may surprise you, but God's got questions. And God's questions are anything but trivial. They're not trivial. They serve a purpose. In fact, notice the value of God's questions. Coming up on the screen here in your notes, if you want to take notes. God's questions are for our benefit. They're for our benefit. They challenge what we believe. And they challenge how we behave. So God's questions are for our benefit. Now, perhaps it seems a little odd that God would even ask us questions in the first place. After all, God already knows the answer, right? And since God is truly all-knowing, then there's really no need for him to even ask us questions because he knows the answers. And yet we discover that all through the Bible, and maybe you've discovered this yourself, that interspersed through all, all the Bible, God is asking questions of his creation, of you and I. Not for his benefit, but he's asking those questions for our benefit. And the benefit is, they're retrospective. They are meant to cause us to stop and think. They're meant to challenge our, what we believe in life, to challenge our behavior in life. God's questions are pointed. And I say that up front for this series. We're going to look at six questions that God asks. And I'm telling you up front, they are pointed questions They are personal questions. His questions cause us to stop and analyze what we really believe about ourselves and about Him. They cause us to stop and challenge us how we actually are behaving in our life as well. So in this series, as I said, we're going to look at six questions. And we're going to focus on six questions in the Old Testament that God asked in His creation. And how you answer will determine the way you live and how you see your destiny. So let's begin with the very first question God asks in the Bible. Where are you? It's the first question God asks to humanity, to his creation. Where are you? How many of you remember watching the Southwest Airline commercials a few years back with the theme, Want to Get Away? Remember that? One of my all-time favorites has two friends hanging out in one friend's apartment. He's showing off his new flat-screen TV and his game system with wireless controls. Well, instead of me telling you about it, why don't you look at it here in the video? 
Check this out. With this controller, your character will mimic your exact motions. See? Wait. Now throw me a pitch, just like we're outside. Want to get away? Now you can. With Southwest Airlines Internet Specials. Yes, want to get away. Hiding. Hiding. For some of us, it's a game. But for most of us, listen, it is a way of life. We all have a hiding reflex. We all want to get away and cover up what we are doing wrong. We're like the little boy who takes a fresh-baked cookie off the counter, and his mom walks into the kitchen, and she asks him, well, what are you doing? And, of course, what does he do? He hides the cookie behind his back, and he acts like nothing is wrong while his mouth is still full of the evidence. We all have a hiding reflex within us. And you ask, where did it come from, this hiding reflex? Well, we inherited it. We inherited it from Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, the one tree in the garden that God told them that they should not eat of, cannot eat of. They can have every other thing, any other fruit, except this one. And we inherited this hiding reflex from them. But instead of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, setting them free like they thought, their newfound knowledge caused them to hide. And now our natural human reflex is to do the same thing when we sin. We want to get away. And we want to hide. Notice the hiding reflex of Adam and Eve there in your notes coming up on the screen. It says, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God. And then they tried to hide from the presence of the Lord God. But notice God's response. And we're going to see, folks, that this is a gracious and loving and merciful response to Adam and Eve, just as it is still a gracious and loving and merciful response to you and I today. But the Lord called out, where are you? Where are you? Let me set the stage that day in the Garden of Eden. What was going on? as the taste of the fruit was still on Adam and Eve's lips. Well, we're told here in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 6, reading out of the NIV translation, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. But look what happens next in verse 7. Something very interesting, something significant happens in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were what? Opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Oh, the silence must have been awkward that day in the garden. You know, sometimes silence can indicate that everything is okay, right? Have you experienced that? I know for my wife and I, Darla and I, we can, we can ride in the car together and uh, maybe going, uh, you know, let's say to the Legends Mall, it's about 15, 20-minute drive, maybe on vacation, we're driving to Colorado through Kansas, and my wife and I, we can sit in the car together in silence and just enjoy 
the silence of knowing that everything is good between us. You know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that before? Silence is not always a bad thing. Silence can be a great indicator that everything is okay in one's relationship. But other times, silence can scream out that something is drastically wrong. This was the case for Adam and Eve. The silence was awkward, and it was screaming out that something is wrong. Each was lost in thought that something is very wrong. But then God broke the awkward silence. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now why hide from your Creator? Why respond this way? I mean, after all, just the day before, that same sound of the Lord God in the garden had been welcomed. When they heard God coming, they eagerly run to meet Him and to talk just the day before. It had been that way every day, but this time it was different because this time something was wrong in their relationship with one another and in their relationship with God. This time, Adam and Eve wanted to run from, not toward, the sound of God's presence. They couldn't bear to look in God's eyes because something was wrong. This time, Adam and Eve had only one desire, to get away. And so they hid themselves deeper among the trees. And the Lord called out, where are you? Where are you? So there the first couple were. In their ridiculous fig leaves. Hiding in paradise lost. When God seeks them out and asks, where are you? Now that question Understand, it was so much more than just a simple request for their location. It was an invitation to make right what was wrong. It was an invitation of forgiveness and reconciliation with one another and with the Creator, God Almighty. And it's the invitation that God has been calling out to us ever since the beginning of time. Where are you? But it's an invitation that we have often refused. So what do we learn from this question? What do we take away from this question here this morning? A question that is thousands of years old, and yet it's still so relevant for us today, as God still calls out to us, where are you? Well, there's two points I want to emphasize, two truths I want to emphasize, of what this question tells us. Number one, this question tells us something about ourselves. We're going to look at that in a moment here. This question tells us something about ourselves, but folks, listen, it also tells us something about God himself. And so we're going to see something about ourselves, and then we're going to see something about God through this question here. Number one, look at it. This question exposes our hiding reflex. It exposes our hiding reflex. You see, the real purpose of this question is to probe our spiritual condition in life. 
This question asks us to explore the landscape of our heart and evaluate our direction and destiny in life. In other words, it asks us to stop and evaluate my spiritual journey in relation to God Almighty. It exposes something about us. It reveals something to us. It's a mysterious how this experience of our first parents is imprinted in our spiritual DNA. Because what drove Adam and Eve to hide that day in the garden still drives us to hide today. So what drives us to hide? Well, it's very clear in the text. It tells us, notice this in your notes even, our hiding, this hiding reflex that we have, it's motivated by shame and fear resulting from our sin. It's motivated by our shame and our fear as a result of our sin. God comes to Adam and he asks him a simple question. Where are you? Notice Adam's answer in verse 10. It's so telling. Look what it says. He says, I heard you speaking to God. I heard you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid. And notice this, why he was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. Now, did you notice that there's no admission of sin by Adam here at this point? He's more aware of his nakedness than he is of his sin against God. And then God says to him in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? In other words, God comes to Adam and he's asking him, Who made you self-conscious about your body? Why do you suddenly feel compelled to hide your nakedness behind fig leaves and hide from me? And so in other words, what we see here in this story is that suddenly Adam and Eve are self-conscious. For the first time. Have you ever dreamed you were in a public place? Uh, perhaps maybe like at work, or let's say you were at the Royals home opener Friday afternoon. Or maybe you're just walking down the hallways at school. And you have this dream, you're in this public place, whatever it may be, and you weren't properly dressed. You weren't properly clothed. In other words, you were naked. You ever have that dream? Man, is it not a relief to wake up and find out that you're just home in bed? (laughs) Right? No kidding, right? Well, Adam and Eve, let me tell you, they woke up and found out they weren't dreaming. They really were naked. And for the first time, they had a sense it wasn't right. So they tried to hide themselves with fig leaves. But what they failed to understand is that their sin impacted them spiritually, not just physically. So God's question tells us that the knowledge of evil comes at the price of shame. As one author observes, and I quote what he writes, he says, Here is one of the saddest anticlimaxes of history. They eat, they expect marvelous results, they wait, and there grows on them a sense of shame. This is the difference theologically between being unclothed and simply being naked. You see, to be unclothed simply meant that Adam and Eve had no clothes on. 
And there was no need to be clothed because they were comfortable with each other, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. It's what God still wants for us in a marriage as well. Adam and Eve, there no self-consciousness between them before they sinned. No self-consciousness interfered with their relationship with each other or with God. But then they sinned, and now something is drastically wrong in their relationship with one another and with God. And so sin brought a shameful sense of self. This is described as nakedness, which is more than just physical exposure of the body. Listen, nakedness describes being vulnerable in our heart, in our mind, and soul. Nakedness refers to being open, being seen for who you really are. And that can be extremely threatening. Since sin now distorts how I see myself, but also how I see you. Let's be honest. We fear. We fear being exposed. It's why now, we as mankind, humanity, we cling to the darkness instead of the light because light exposes us for who we really are. And we fear being exposed for who we really are. So what do we do? We hide. We want to get away. Adam was ashamed. And so now we are ashamed. Shame is a sense of a lowered self-worth. It's a sense of knowing you haven't been the person that God created you to be. And we want to hide that from people. You don't want people to see that you're not quite what you think you are. You don't want people to know what you're really like. And so we play the hypocrite. We play the actor. And we wear masks. Not physical masks. But we all wear them. And when we hear God then approaching us in His grace and in His love and in His mercy, most of us want to hide like Adam and Eve did that day in the garden. Except unlike Adam and Eve, we've had thousands and thousands of years now to plot and scheme the numerous ways that we try to hide from God and one another. Let me give you just a handful of them, six of them here, quickly. The many ways we hide. First of all, we hide through avoidance. Through avoidance. This was Adam and Eve's strategy. They hid themselves among the trees and they hoped that God would just go away. Now, avoidance is a primary coping strategy among all of us. We avoid going to the doctor. Why? So we don't have to face the truth about our physical condition. Um, I've known here for the last year that my eyesight is, well, it's not what it used to be. I, can't, I can read fine things up close. I just can't see things far away. I've been avoiding going to the eye doctor. Why? Because I don't want to wear glasses. All right? And my wife says, well, you can wear contacts. And I'm not sure I want those things in my eyes and have to poke my eye to get it out. I notice Grace here has new contacts. I almost didn't recognize her this morning. I'm like, who's that new young lady here? But we avoid, we all do, it's a coping mechanism. But problems don't go away when we avoid them. In fact, they come around at the most inconvenient times, and usually with greater intensity. So God flushed out Adam and Eve. He flushed them out of the bushes and trees so that they could deal with the reality of their sin in the best way. 
And so first way we hide through avoidance. Number two, we hide behind busyness. We keep so busy with the outer world of work, family, sports, or hobbies that we are deaf to the inner cries of the soul. But constant busyness, listen to me, will not bring peace to the turmoil in our souls. Busyness will not reconcile you in a relationship with your spouse or friend. Busyness will not reconcile you to God Almighty as your creator and as your heavenly father. Number three, we hide behind accomplishment. We often live as if success in this area, success in that area, will make up for failures in other areas of our lives. And so it's a balancing issue. How many of you guys like cartoons? Sure, we all do. How many of you like the cartoon strip Dilbert? You got Dilbert and then you got Dogbert. Oh, right, okay, we got at least one. All right, we got a few, all right. Well, we're like Dilbert in the cartoon strip. Dogbert was giving Dilbert advice on dating. And he says, women like men who have accomplishments, but they hate men who boast. So I'll be your designated bragger, allowing you to appear humble. So Dilbert thinks about this. He says, well, the one potential problem with this plan is that I have no accomplishments. And Dogbert looks at him for a while and then says, well, if she isn't wearing makeup, we'll be honest too. Right? You get that? Man, that, I'm telling you, that is us to a T. We are a hiding generation, a hiding people, and we want to hide behind accomplishments. Number four, we try to hide behind pleasure or the pursuit of pleasure. Pleasure can be either a distraction that diverts us or a drug that numbs us. And yes, it is true, pleasure has its place in life. God has given us many wonderful gifts for our enjoyment here on this earth. But when pleasure keeps us from dealing with our sin, it becomes a problem. Number five, we hide behind religious activity. That is, we just kind of go through the motions of our faith. Revelation 3.16 describes this as being lukewarm. The church in Laodicea was religious, but they were not genuine. They were religiously active, but they were not authentic. Lukewarmness describes our outward involvement that keeps our heart insulated and isolated from the touch of God. In other words, from even the voice of God when he comes to us and asks, where are you? And then number six, we hide by shifting blame to others and ultimately to God. And Adam and Eve, oh, this is what they're known for. Adam, he is caught red-handed by God. He's like the little boy in the kitchen with his cookie in his hand, trying to hide it behind his back. Adam is caught red-handed by God, and he is stripped naked of all his excuses. So what will he do? Well, he'll do what any self-respecting man does. He passes the buck. He blames his wife. Will Rogers once remarked that there are two errors in American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. But actually, the passing of the buck first took place way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam told God in Genesis 3, verse 12, notice it, that the woman whom you gave to be with me, oh, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Did you get what he just said there? 
Adam passes the buck not once, but twice in one sentence here. First he blames Eve, and then he blames God in the same sentence. Adam says, Lord, it was her fault. She's the one who gave me the fruit, and so I ate. What was I supposed to do, God? She's my wife. And besides, who gave her to be with me? You. You did, God. She wasn't my idea. Oh, by the way, I'm not complaining, Lord, because after all, she's beautiful. I love her companionship, but I didn't have this problem when it was just me and the animals. You get the idea. And Eve, listen, she's only slightly better here. At least she blames the serpent who tempted her. And so it goes. It started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And it continues all the way down through history to today. Shifting blame is our default mode when we sin. Which leads us to a critical truth about ourselves. Don't miss the truth here. Listen to me. Sin always separates. Sin always separates. It separates us first from God. And then it separates us from each other. Sin separated Adam and Eve from each other when they closed themselves with fig leaves. All of a sudden now, there is a barrier between them in their relationship. And sin separated Adam and Eve from God when they hid themselves among the trees. But here's the problem with hiding. It doesn't work. It isn't effective. And it robs us of what we need most at that time in our life. So when we hide, we are only doing a disservice to me. I'm hurting myself when I hide. You see, what we need most at this moment in our life that hiding robs us of is forgiveness for our sins And then reconciliation with God, who can then offer us reconciliation with each other. And if we hide, we are robbed of both of those things. So why hide when we can live in freedom and joy? Think about it. When you hide, you become your own prisoner, trapped in your own guilt, shame, and fear. But the amazing grace in this story is that our hiding is based on the wrong idea of God. Which brings us to the second truth God's question tells us. This question, number two, reveals God's seeking heart and character. It reveals His loving heart, His seeking or searching heart and character. You know, you can learn a lot by a person by the questions they ask. And we can learn a lot about God by the questions He asks. And so when God asks, where are you? The first thing it does is he's giving away his own location. He is revealing his character to us. He is showing us his heart for you and I. And what we learn, if we will pay attention to it, draws us out of our hiding and back into the arms of our Father. So what do we learn about God from his question here? In Genesis chapter 3. Well, what we learn 
is that when we sin and hide, first of all, number one, we learn that God graciously, mercifully, lovingly seeks us out. This truth, if you will grab hold of it, will transform your life. Because when we sin, get this, God comes looking for us. When we fail, God seeks us out. When our reflex is to hide, God's response is to find. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, did God desert them? Did He abandon them? No. He came looking for them. God could have zapped them both on the spot and just started over with a new couple. Think about it. But He didn't. Instead, God came looking for Adam and Eve. And folks... That is pure, amazing grace. Listen here. God God doesn't seek us out because we deserve it. He doesn't seek me out because I deserve it. What do we deserve when we sin? Judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. And by the way, that's what we will get if we refuse to come out of our hiding and receive His forgiveness provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's what we learned last Sunday, Easter, through the substitution of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. So get it. Listen, God seeks us out because... We, nothing of I have done. He doesn't seek us out because I deserve it. This is the amazing grace. God seeks us to save us. And it is amazing when you think about that. It is grace-filled that God found me and saved me when I didn't deserve it. Our God is a seeking and finding God. In Ezekiel 34, 11, God says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Jesus told Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So when we sin and hide, God still graciously calls out to us, Where are you? Where are you? Folks, listen to me. Sometimes we are, we're just put off by people's questions. We don't like questions being asked of us. But I want you to understand so desperately that when God is asking this question, don't be put off by it. Because even in our sin, God comes lovingly and graciously and mercifully to you, and He simply asks, Where? are you to draw you out back into his arms there is love there grace there which brings us to point number two here the second truth we learn about god when we sin and hide god will always find us when we sin and hide god will always find us you know hiding think about this with me for a moment hiding is based on the premise that god can't find us unless we want to be found And can I just bluntly say, that is ridiculous. It's like the worship leader who was talking to his congregation. And the worship leader was trying to get his congregation, 
they were just a little inhibited about letting loose a little bit, raising their hands in praise and worship and trying to get them to understand it's okay to raise your hands. In fact, I'm telling you guys, it's okay. Clap a little. Yeah, all right. All right? And so it's like the worship leader who says to the congregation, if you want to raise your hands but are worried, what others, but are worried that others might see you, just close your eyes. We laugh, but folks, I'm telling you, many people live as if they can actually hide from God when in fact they are always in God's sight. Just think about this. Adam and Eve actually thought they could hide from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. Did they really think God wasn't going to find them? What a pathetic delusion for anyone then or today to imagine that it's possible to hide from God Almighty. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, tellingly ask, Where can I go from your spirit, Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. We all know this. We know it mentally. But when we disobey, we naturally succumb to Jonah's folly and we hop on our Tarshish ships to run and hide from the presence of the Lord. But that's the irrational logic of sin in our lives. It spawns the delusional thinking that we can be where God is not. And more, we actually think we can even hide our thoughts from God. But Psalm 139, verse 2, says this about God. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Listen to me. God will always find us. You can't hide from him. It is absurd to deceive ourselves and think that we can hide from God. It's impossible. So, God graciously seeks us out, and when he seeks us out, he will always find us. So why does God graciously seek us out? Why does he want to find me in the first place? Because when we sin and hide, notice number three, God longs, he longs for our redemption, not my punishment. You know, God could have had a different approach to Adam and Eve that day in the Garden of Eden. Do you realize that? God could have had it, done it all differently. God could have come in anger, yelling at them, Adam, you blew it! How could you do this to me after all I've done for you, after all I've given you? How many times did I tell you not to eat that fruit? How could you be so stupid? God could have come in anger, yelling at them. God could have come with threatening force, like a five-star general in battle. The angelic troops surround the garden, and God calls out, all right, flush them out. And the angelic hosts start their search for Adam and Eve. They get closer and closer when suddenly Adam and Eve are forced into the open, and they are taken captive and into bondage. God could have just ignored Adam altogether. We know from the Bible that God met with them every evening in the cool of the day. Now, can you imagine how beautiful that was? That's awesome. So imagine the first day after they sinned. Adam and Eve are hoping God doesn't come, and God doesn't come. 
And he doesn't come the next day. And he doesn't come the next day either. And I'm guessing by the fourth or fifth day, Adam and Eve look at each other and say, man, where did he go? I thought he cared about us. I thought he loved me. God could have just ignored them, giving Adam and Eve the cold shoulder. Have you ever received the silent treatment as a form of punishment? Right? Listen, everybody married here knows what I'm talking about right now. If you're married, you've received the silent treatment as a form of punishment. And that's what God could have done. So God could have just walked away from Adam and Eve, but he didn't. Praise God! Why? Why didn't God just walk away? Because that's what they deserved. Because God longs for our redemption, not our condemnation and separation. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15 that God is like a father who welcomes home his rebellious and wayward son. Some of you here may know the story. The father's younger son goes off to find his life the way he wants to in the world. But oh, how he soon realizes after all the money is gone after his friends have left him and he's now living in the pigs, eating the pigs' food. And he realizes, you know what? This ain't the life I was searching for. This ain't the life I thought I wanted. It hasn't turned out the way I hoped. You know what? Life, real life, as Jesus says, abundant life here on this earth, it's found back home in the Father's. And of course, what's the heart of the Father while his son is away living his life? Oh, the heart of the father is he is longing for his son to return back home. And when the son finally comes to his senses and he decides, you know what? I'm going to return back home. The father does what? He rejoices. In fact, he throws a party. And Jesus describes the father's joy this way in verse chapter 24. Or Luke 15, verse 24, he says this, For this son of mine was dead. Folks, that is us in our sin. We are dead. And God has to find me if I have ever any hope of life. He says, For this son of mine was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In the same way, this is what God the Father longs for when we sin and hide. He longs for us to come out of our hiding and return to Him. To be in a reconciled relationship with Him again. This is why God seeks us out and He asks that question. Where are you? Where are you? I have one question in response to that. What do you hear in this question by God? When God asks, where are you, what do you hear in that question? Because here's my fear. As I alluded to, we are a generation, we have questions, but we don't like questions being asked of us. And my fear is, when we hear this question of God, we think, you know what? Man, he's just getting a little too close to my space. He's invading my territory. God, you need to back off a little bit. 
This is my life. See my circle here? Don't cross over. Because that question, you are getting a little too close for comfort in my life. And that's what I'm afraid some of us are hearing and we're thinking about God in relation to this question when he asks you, where are you? Here's what I hope you hear in this question, because this is how God is asking it. I hope you hear God's longing for your redemption. I hope you hear God's gracious invitation to be reconciled to him. I hope you hear God's love for you. Does that mean God has to invade our space? Does that mean God has to come into my circle? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is a seeking and finding God. And we ought to praise Him for it. We ought to be thankful. Because if you have been found by God, it's only because God found you. He searched you out, and you then responded. So here's the bottom line. I like how Diedrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this. He says, come out of your hiding place, from your self-reproach, your covering, your secrecy, your self-torment. Come out from your vain remorse. And so let me ask you, are you hiding from God this morning? Are you trying to hide from the guilt and the shame of your sin? then please know that God is calling you out of your hiding. It all comes down to this. We have two options when we sin. Two options. We can either conceal it or we can confess it. You say, what does it mean to conceal sin? Just what we think it means. It means to cover it up, to make excuses, to rationalize it, to shift blame, to hide. And when we conceal our sin, listen to me, we do not prosper We go through the internal hell of living with a guilty conscience. We are in shame and we are in fear. In the words of Psalm 32, our bones waste away and our strength is sapped. We suffer physically and spiritually and emotionally. Nothing works right in our lives. Why? Because we are concealing our sin. And we weren't made to do so. But there's another option. The only option that works, and that is to confess our sin. You say, what does it mean to confess our sin? It means, first of all, listen to me, to take ownership of your sin. To take responsibility. To own up to what you did that was against God and His holiness. When you confess your sins, it is the process by which we come out of our hiding. And when you confess your sins, you are basically saying to God, God, you are right, I did it. I am guilty before you. And I agree with you that what I did was wrong. Please forgive me. And what does God promise that he will do? If we come out of our hiding and confess our sin, look at it with me in your notes. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. With your heads bowed.
as we come to our response time this morning. And this is what this time is about. It's the time to respond to God and His Word. And of course, the response this morning, it is loud and clear. If we're hiding, God's asking, where are you? In our response, our best option is to come out of our hiding by confessing our sin and receiving His forgiveness and righteousness. And so again, this question, where are you, as I said at the beginning, is a question that demands personal evaluation of what you believe and how you behave. It demands that we look inward into our own hearts and ask God to even search out our own hearts and reveal to us unconfessed sin. Will you respond this morning to God in his heart of searching and longing for you by confessing it before him and receiving his forgiveness here today? As the praise team sings, right where you're seated, respond to him. God welcomes you with open arms if you will come out of your hiding. This is my desire.